Hey, everybody, it is not just five o'clock somewhere, it's five o'clock here. And so welcome to Grace Moments Live with Pastor Rich. Hope as everybody's doing really well. Super excited about tonight's topic and conversation. This is one of the most common series of questions that I get as a pastor. They're very practical about some of the things that we're going through um, as individuals, as families, as couples through this season. And we have a great guest with us tonight. Look, we really want this to be interactive. And so we'd love for you to put your comments in the chat, uh, throw your questions in the Q&A just for technical clarifications. There's question and answer tab for the questions and the comments for things that you want to kind of amen or uh, comment about as we go through this. Listen, I've known Todd Sandell for a couple of decades. I know we don't look as old as we really are, but I've known Todd for a long, long time and have been privileged to know him and Bev. Just think he's such a great thought leader in the coaching space and the leadership space, but also got a great long history with him, not only in ministry, but also thinking in terms of what does it mean to have a thriving marriage and family. And so Todd, I want to bring you online and have you jump into what we're doing and um, excited to um, to have you a part of this conversation today. So uh, we're going to virtually clap and welcome Todd to come on. Hopefully his technology will enable him to be able to come on and join us. So Todd? Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I can't see you. Okay. Uh... It's not saying, I mean you have a great you have a great face for radio don't get me wrong but <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> says you can't start the video because the host has stopped it I don't know well what that, means. that I this is why we pay um, Morgan a lot of money to make sure that we keep you off uh, so we'll so we'll attempt to um, to at least start the conversation till uh, Morgan there, there we are there we are I see you fantastic friend really good <laughs> to see you you doing well today Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Hello, everybody at Peachtree. Hey, so good. You have a you have such a long-standing relationship with Peachtree, and um, you know, uh, in starting LifeGate, kind of the great counseling center that we have at Peachtree. But people may not know, even if they know you in that capacity, that you actually got your start in ministry in student ministries. And we all know that people who work in student ministries for a certain amount of time have to be a certain measure of crazy, which you are. So what's What's one of the what's one of the craziest things that you uh, that you did in student ministries? Uh, other than telling a sixth a sixth grader to go lick the light bulb, um, let's see what what was the craziest thing. Actually, a pe a peach tree connection, um, and I think a crazy. I think a Lake Powell. I don't, Rich. Mm -hmm. I think you might have gone to Lake Powell trip. I can't yeah. remember, but the first Lake Powell trip of when we were trying to do it, and basically Lake Powell is. Uh, on the other side of the dam from the Grand Canyon. So it's the, the think of the Grand Canyon, two thirds filled up with water. Um, just, just huge, enormous cliffs. Uh, you're driving on this, this lake on a boat, uh, going through these small, tight uh, little fingers of lake with beautiful canyon going up to 500 feet above you, just curving and carving. Oh, well, our speaker for that trip was Vic Pence. And he was wearing, <laughs> Rich, you've seen him in this shirt. So I'm going to get in trouble for this, I'm sure, from Vic at some point. I just remember want to make sure his, recording this right now. His, his Lakers jersey, the super, yes. super too tight, 
Lakers jersey, the Magic Johnson jersey, <laughs> you know, and you know how Vic is and what comes out of a jersey when he's not fully covered up. And uh, so he was our speaker. So Vic and I are on a, on a speedboat and we're taking kids to the back of these canyons and we're just saying, go climb up that cliff and jump off of it into the water. So probably the cliff jumping stuff, I would say I didn't get fired because my pastor was with me. But today I'd probably get today we'd probably get fired for that kind of stuff. We didn't think about legal and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I was I was 25. I wasn't a parent at that point. So we did some just crazy adventurous stuff with the kids and just had a blast. It's amazing. It's probably amazing for you to think about the things that you did in student ministries. And now that you're a parent of teenagers, you're like, what was I thinking? Um, Dude, we I, do that. We do that all the time. We'll we'll, uh -huh. we'll be in a conversation and we'd be like, "Those are our kids." There's no way we'd let our kids go on a youth trip with us <laughs> back in the day. Like we wouldn't do that. It's crazy. So you went from student ministries and then you got involved. You got your uh, uh, your master's degree from Fuller in psychology and jumped into LifeGate. And then um, a couple of years ago the evolution of your vocation. So what, what are you doing now kind of post LifeGate at this point? Yeah, so the interesting thing is, so as part of the clinical psychology program at, at Fuller, they have different master's tracks that you can do. And so when I entered their program, I actually chose the organizational leadership track and actually got a master's in that and then transferred out of the PhD program because we just kept having babies. We couldn't figure out what was happening. And I realized that- that Did somebody finally explain that to you? No, we had to, at, after four, one of our kids told us to stop having, they didn't want any more brothers and sisters. So, um, <laughs> so then I ended up going back on the clinical side. So actually the organizational leadership um, academic training was really first, but then the second part was clinical. Because what I realized with a lot of leaders was a lot of leaders that I knew, a lot of their problems centered in just the fact that they get in their own way. You know, they're the hidden forces, the insecurities, the fears, the narcissism, the ego leadership that that orients them that we would call reactive leadership is getting in their own way. And I had no clue how to really speak to that. So I went back to the clinical side of psychology and was fascinated by just coming alongside couples um, and really probably the simple the simple story was I am a product of divorce. So, but not when I was a kid, my, my parents actually divorced when I was a, after college, when I was about 22. And when I went through the clinical program, what the Lord put on my heart was be about saving marriages, um, but not just saving them, but making them great. And that's when this, this itch for greatness and calling people forth to greatness. Uh, and then, you know, at LifeGate and doing clinical work, and really marriage focused. Mm -hmm. uh, how I came back around to the leadership side was a lot of the couples that I was seeing, um, sometimes both the husband and the wife, um, but, but usually one or the other was a, was, was a high capacity leader in their own right and uh, realized that if they would have done a lot of this work early on, uh, it would have prevented some of the kind of struggles that they were facing in their marriage. And then I was like, you know, I, I, I felt that call to really be about what's on the, what's on the preventative side. Yeah. Um, let's, let's get into the leadership space. Let's get into the business space and the professional space with some of this stuff. 
some of the when I was studying psychology too, the some of the most compelling stuff that we that we read was had to do with positive psychology, not just how do you help someone who's struggling to feel better, but also like how do you take someone who's doing well, but how do you help them really to flourish and to grow? And I know that you're passionate about that. And you mentioned the passion of how that's calls for for marriage. So give us a little window. How did you and Bev originally meet? Uh, Houston, Texas. There we go. Come on. Shout out. Hook them horns. That's it. And uh, she was at UT and it was the, um, it was the, uh, um, um, how did we meet? It was, a it was, a, it was a blind date basically, uh, is the way Beverly likes to say it. Uh, but I got an invitation in the mail to a debutante and she was my date made it really easy because I was scared to ask girls out because I was a youth minister. It's not, that's not really what you lead with um, to attract girls. Hey, I'm in youth ministry. The ladies love that. I'm a youth minister. Yeah. Come be with me and let's hang out with junior high kids. It's like how you would say, like as pastors say on a plane, um, if you want to get people to not talk to you on a plane, tell them that you're a pastor for a living and they, they're quiet. Um, so uh, we went to the Kelly, Kelly tells people that she's a, a tattoo artist on a plane. She figures that that cuts <laughs> the conversation down right there. Well, she, at least she's back to work then, right? She, you know, <laughs> exactly. In Georgia, you can do this. She is a tattoo artist and she is fully and gamefully employed. <laughs> I know, but we, can, but we can't go hiking on the trails, right? I don't, I don't no. get it. So, so we went to the debutante, fell in love that night. It was crazy. It literally is one of the fairy, uh, those uh, just fairy tale stories. And um hit it off and just connected. So, you know, she graduated from college and you became a pastor and we were buddies and Hey, we let, we, we asked you to do our wedding and it was awesome. That's great. You just tipped your hand too. And you said she graduated from college after that. I was going to tell how young she was, but you totally did. <laughs> well, I knew you were going there. I mean, come on. she so was they, not in the youth group ever. I promise I, you. I, you want to be very clear because uh, we are recording this and maybe Vic is watching right now that Bev was not in the youth group at the time. All right. So, yes. so, Hey, um, yeah, I mean, you've seen a lot of marriages come alongside a lot of couples. Uh, what do you, what do you think couples are uniquely going through right now? Great question. Um, a lot of people have been asking that question a lot. I, I right now, kind of rich. What I've been, the way I've kind of been coming around that is, I'm saying it really depends. You know, it depends on what's what was already there. Uh, so, in times of crisis, when you increase pressure, you find what the core character is. So, in a moment where the pressure is dis massive disruption in our life then it exposes the core character of the relationship that has always been there. It didn't do anything. Uh, COVID didn't do anything to couples. It just took away their comforts. Mm -hmm. It took away the things that they distracted themselves away from uh, maybe uh, a marriage or a relationship that's struggling where a bond has maybe been broken or it's struggling, you know, it's just barely hanging on. So if you're in that camp, um, what, we're, what we're afraid of is that there might be a divorce boom uh, six months from now or three months from now. It, but on the other side, if the character of your relationship is tight and you feel connected, and what I like to say is, do you like the person? I always say like is stronger than love because you know we love our grandma, we love green beans, um, or we should love green beans. 
Um, uh, but do you like your spouse? If, if she or he is the person where you say, I just like who they are. I like being around them. If I could be around anybody right now, I'd want to be around my spouse. If you're saying that, then what we're saying is COVID is serving as a baby boom. So it's either a divorce boom or a baby boom. I mean, the swing, there, there's not really one. It, it depends on what is at the core of your relationship, the core of your bond pre-COVID just got either accelerated in a good way or really exposed yeah. in a very hurtful way. Totally agree with that. It's a very polarizing experience right now. And so, so let's think of the person right now whose emotional attachment to their spouse is, is, um, is already kind of in jeopardy or it's frayed or whatever analogy you want to do. Obviously, I'm not saying, Todd, magic wand, silver bullet, one moment here. But, but for someone who's in that situation, what's a, what's a first step or two that they could do? So before we talk practical, because um, I think those, the, the tactical steps seem to be a little more clear, even though it might be hard to do, which would be counseling or take that next step to call LifeGate or call a counselor and to see what we can do about it. The bigger piece would be, I think that would scale to uh, whatever your pain is right now, whether your pain is marriage or your pain is your business uh, or your financial loss uh, or your teenagers that are annoying you like crazy and you just want to, you know, strangle them. Uh, but whatever the issue is, or you may have physical loss in your family or illness going on with folks. Uh, but back to the marriage brokenness kind of piece, I would say the one thing you absolutely can control is who you are going to choose to be in this. What we know from disruption, which let's just define it as discomfort. Mm -hmm. this, these last eight weeks, the bottom line is it's uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable. Disruption creates discomfort. But what we know to be true about discomfort is it's the greatest opportunity to grow us. Discomfort and pain, challenges that bring massive discomfort have the, the greatest potential to do something in us, to grow our character, our resilience, um, our, 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 to tame our narcissism, to, uh, to be the great purifier of our ego. Uh, that's just what pain does. It's the great purifier. Um, and so even if your marriage is struggling, I think at that place, it's really easy to go to reminding yourself, see, this is why. This is why we don't work. And what that tends to be, Rich, is it tends to be blame. Mm -hmm. It's easier. And especially in a time of discomfort, it's really easy to just push, push the pain off on someone else you're the problem. And, and while that might be true, um, what we know is you don't have the ability to control solving your spouse. Right. But what we can do in this time, what we can solve is there's something in us that's longing to be solved. We just haven't figured that out yet. Mm -hmm. And it would start with even turning it to go, wait, what do I have the opportunity to kind of let God do in me? Mm -hmm. How does the Lord want to leverage this 
incredible painful relationship crisis I'm in right now to begin to work on who I am and who he wants me to be. Tactically, counseling is there. And obviously at Peachtree, um, it's amazing that we have this incredible uh, place of just, just brilliant people who love the Lord and they love people. And they're really, really great at what they do. Yeah. And, and so I would, call, I would call LifeGate. You guys have the links on your website and that kind of stuff. But taking a step to reach out. But it also could, buy, it could be that it starts with a small conversation with your spouse. And the conversation wouldn't be, I'm tired of you, so we need to talk. It would be, I don't like who I am in this relationship right now. And I'm ready to do what it takes for me to be better. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in joining me in that process? That's how I would approach it. Remember Asa Hunt from uh, back at First Press Houston, one of the mm -hmm. prayers that he taught me was he said, Rich, you ought to regularly pray, Lord, help me to be the kind of person that Kelly would want to be married to. And so regularly just thinking of my own prayers and my own soul, doing my own soul searching of that, that is what God has put within my domain for me to become that kind of person that it would be life-giving for her to want to be in the room with me, to be together with me. And um, so I, I think that's, I think that's critical as we, as we go through, as we go through this, let's talk about kids a little bit. Um, I mean, last, last time I checked, you had this number and, Still. Um, and that, um, that's a lot under one roof, um, a lot of teenageness going on for you. And, uh, but you guys were homeschooling a lot longer before this happened. So give us some tips on how to create sanity in the home when you're doing the education and the work and all that other stuff all under one roof. I even, I even hate to be the one answering this because that's really you know, Beverly is the, she's the master of all that. Um, I think she, I think she might even be on the, the call. You, you may want to have her send a chat in the Q and a, um, Beverly, I think wrong, Beverly, if he gets it wrong, just put it in the chat. <laughs> yeah. Correction. You know, here's the short answer. And first of all, let me just tell you, we don't do it. We don't do it better than anybody else. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a clue, but we don't do it perfectly. That's the first thing I'll just start off with, you know, just we're not perfect in this. I think we're all, I think everybody's trying to figure this out. For sure, the first two weeks, it was kind of novel, right? This is how novelty is. Everybody's kind of like, I mean, I hate to say we're excited about this, but it was novel. It was new and they, you know, we had to change it up. So there's some novelty. So we we're excited. And then we had spring break. And of course, we did some real intentional stuff at spring break. We got to get out of the house. We went paddle boarding, hiking mountain biking, everything that was at least barely legal enough for us to be able to do. And that created excitement. And then getting back into the school, that's when we really hit a wall a little bit and just trying to figure out schedule, routine. But what we know about kids is they thrive on structure. They just do. If you listen to them, they'll say no, that they want to stay up and play Fortnite until 4 a.m. like most high school boys. But that's not actually, it's not good for anybody. Um, there's no judgment if that's going on in your house. We've had to have those conversations. Are you so, talking so. about me right now? <laughs> yeah. Even if your boy is the, is the husband. 
Um, so structure and routine is huge. And I think we had to have some intentional conversations around dinner. And really for us, it was who do we all want to be as a family? So instead of who do you want to be just as a person, the who is a collective who. And I think for us having that conversation with our kids going, hey, how do we want to use this time? How do we want to use, who do we want to be in, by the time we get to June, for us to say, wow, we crushed that as a family. Looking back, what would have to be true? Mm-hmm. What, what would we have had to do for us to say, high five each other, guys. We, we were great as a family. We just crushed that time, that moment in our history that will pass, but, it, but we want to leverage that. And I think those conversations led to the kids getting a little bit more on purpose and intentional and created some dialogue so that we were having them hold themselves accountable. Um, And I'll just kind of leave it at that. There's so many different places other than having Beverly as an amazing kind of guru in that space who just took took charge. And she's just great at what she does as a mom. Is part of part of her wizardry and structure structuring you as well? Because that happens in my house for I get put on structure too. So, um, so when you, uh, one of the things I love about you and your family is to me, you guys play really well together. Um, I mean, the family that prays together stays together, but also I think the family that plays together stays together. And um, what, so how, how do you help to, especially when so much is closed, how do you, what, what do you recommend for kind of a replenishment cycle, recreation, that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I mean, for sure, outdoor, getting outside, and even clinically, psychologically, um, the outdoors, nature, I mean, God knew what he was doing. I mean, it's in the Psalms, just nature is restorative for our soul. Our soul longs to be outside, and it gets restored from that. But when we play together, also psychologically, what we know is the reason that phrase that you quoted there works is because we bond relationally when we play, mm-hmm. when we play with people, we bond. That's actually how we bond. And so right now, even if you can't get out, if you just isolated throughout the house, um, yes, you definitely need your space, but you need to form some rituals of play. And whether that's outside activities, it could be even um, like our kids got us into the voice this year. And so we, I mean, last night, most of us were devastated that our favorite person didn't make it into the finale. And, and my daughter was crushed, you know, so we had this bonding deal because on Monday nights we watched The Voice and we've never done that before. So that was really cool. And we watched the John Krinowski's um, Some Good News. Uh, Some Good News. That's our Monday night deal before The Voice. We love that. And like half of us are like all emotional and teary, but we have some rituals of play that include outdoor activities, but even a, the red kickball and just get some sidewalk chalk and make good old recess four square and get out and play in your, in your backyard. I would say from an intentionality, if we're thinking about we're, we're in the shelter in place and our camps are canceled. Now that was a devastating week when we, when the kids found out camps were canceled. That was such a bummer and the season and all that kind of stuff. Create a family camp at how at your home. Create a family camp. You know, at camp, you have a schedule of activities. Maybe do it one week. You don't have to do it the whole summer. Kids like novelty. They like change as well. Um, but have like a structured week where you do, you have a theme and you have some, something you're going to build together and something you're going to create together and a new hobby that you're going to learn together, or learn to cook something together. Um, but that's, that's what I would say families can do as an alternative right now. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, I think it's really important. And, and part of what I don't want people to miss in that is that it's really easy to get stuck in those relational ruts and everybody goes to their corners. And, and so you have to shake it up. You have to just try to find ways to, to learn stuff together, to try stuff together, to, I mean, we've even like resurrected games that we haven't played in 10 to 15 years, you know, so we used to play Uno when the kids were young and we brought the Uno back out. And did you know that in Uno, now there's a card that says you exchange hands with the other person and it's the most devastating card in all of our card games. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. This morning, Ashby was at the breakfast table and she was one card away from winning, but I played that exchange hands and I win and not that I'm bragging or anything, but, but it's just so fun. Yeah. yeah. You know, intimacy, Dallas Willard says, is shared experience. Mm -hmm. And so you have to think about what are the moments, what are the experiences that we can share, where we can laugh, we can cry, uh, we can do all the, feel the full range of emotions. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the things that, that I struggle with sometimes is, is, I mean, you just, you gotta be vulnerable with one another to share your emotions. Like I'm, I'm kind of a put together kind of person. And, and so when you let your guard down and you share, you know, as you're going through this time and, and the shelter in place and as that's being lifted, it's, it's like, allow the other people to know that you're on the roller coaster of all the different emotions that you're experiencing. You know, Rich, that's so true. I would say the last thing that that, that reminded me of is our most powerful stuff we did the probably the first three weeks of COVID as it was still so just there's so many thoughts and emotions going on. We were real intentional to have long dinner conversations and have questions that we just and you know, I just had them pull, we have a card deck and I just had the kids pull questions from the parenting deck that we have. And that way they could have a, con a question that connects with them emotionally. And we would have, you know, a long conversation with the kids and, and have them go around and share how they're feeling about this and what they think about it. And it was really, really good, not only for them to get that out, but to your point, the connection and bonding that happened as we shared those emotions and feelings about all this stuff was powerful for our connection. A great tool is the emotion wheel. I mean, you know, cause a lot of the times we only kind of think in binary terms of how you do it, I'm fine, or I'm kind of not fine. And, you know, you can just Google emotion wheel and there's a bunch of those out there, Google image, and just, I mean, it gives you a full spectrum of all <laughs> kinds of different nuances of emotions can you look at it and you can actually you know what what i'm feeling right now really is jealousy and um because my life isn't as good as that person's life or whatever the case may be um so it helps you to be able to name that demon yeah. um to, yep. be able to, to be able to cast it out and to move forward mm -hmm. look if anybody wants to throw in a question here um i've got a couple more questions but if somebody wants to put in a question we'll take a couple for todd as we um as we get close to the end of the time but um, Todd, one of the things that, that everybody keeps talking about in the news right now is that um, diseases of despair, abuse, whether it's alcohol or physical, all that's on the rise right now, given the constraints of what we're dealing with. If, if somebody's experiencing that right now, what, what do you suggest to that person? Yeah, it's a great question. Two things with that. Again, one would be more of a, uh, uh, an internal uh, part of what's going on inside for you uh, so, because you need to understand that. And then the second piece would be tactical again, which would, would, which would involve a referral to talk to somebody, a counselor. 
Um, so let's just talk about the, the inside. Um, yeah, alcohol sales are up. I think they're tripled uh, and they're probably going up. And really basically why that is, is because if you take our comfort away, which is either wealth or earning or proving or professional viability or whatever it is that makes us feel good about ourselves, you take that away, we're going to, we're going to seek another comfort. Mm-hmm. And so right now, especially in a time of discomfort, we're seeking comfort. Okay. So it's, what is it in us that's seeking that, right? There's a longing. Addiction is really about um, trying to fill a longing that is a good thing, that God put a longing and a hunger to drive us toward him. So the longing, the source of that addiction is a really good thing. Mm-hmm. We're just choosing to fill that longing with a dissatisfying uh, temporary fix that doesn't solve it. It just gets us over a little hump and then it's worse because we need more to meet that, to meet that fix the next time. Tactically, if you feel that you are just really choosing, um, you don't have to diagnose, well, am I, do I have a chemical dependency or whatever? If you just feel like, Hey, this is just more than what I feel comfortable with or someone has told me, Hey, they've made comments that maybe this is a lot more than they're normally used to me kind of being, or if my behavior has been impacted in a negative way by this, and you're just bothered by that, it's good that you're bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but do something. And, and the do something could be, you know, again, reach out. Um, Randy Eberhardt is, is our, our lead guy over there at LifeGate that is just amazing. And, and he is so easy to be around. He's so non-judgmental. He doesn't care. He just loves people. He wants to hear your story and you have a safe, um, non-judgmental uh, place to be accepted and listened to. And then you can begin to confront um, whatever it is inside of you that is seeking comfort in maybe a destructive way. Yeah. So we've got a good question in here, Todd, and I know we're running out of time, so we'll make this on the last one. So somebody has said, we've talked a lot about marriage, relationships, families, that kind of thing. If somebody's if someone's single right now and they're struggling with loneliness, uh, what would you suggest for them? Well, I even think whether you're single or married, um, I think at some level, if we're honest, we're all struggling with loneliness. I mean, because we, we are, we're called to love outside of just our home. Mm-hmm. You know, I miss some of my best friends and honestly, so, so for the single person, I think if you put yourself out there, I think it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, I even feel that I've been vulnerable recently with a couple of my uh, close buddies where I've just sent a text and I just said, I miss you. Because it's easy to say, hey, let's go get something to drink or let's go get a cup of coffee and talk. It's easy to say, hey, do you want to have lunch sometime? It's more vulnerable uh, to say, I miss you. Mm -hmm. Dude, I just miss you. can we hang out on the phone (laughs) or, you know, I think people are trying to figure out how to do the driveway tailgate driveway, social distance kind of stuff. And couples, we did, we did a couple's date the other night with uh, some couples, friends of ours. And it was the, we brought our tailgate chairs and sat, you know, a safe distance apart, but man, we got so much Mm -hmm. connection. So I think even if you're single, um, reach out. Yeah. Uh, find someone that you know that, hey, I just long for connection and I miss you. How can we connect? Mm-hmm. And, and I find that that's a very different invitation, like what you've said when if someone says, I miss you, um, 
really, you know, that kind of thing is really different from just the, the tactical of let's have lunch. Um, and can we get our mm -hmm. calendars to work? Uh, cause one moves at your heart. And so, so I think if you lead with your heart, you get sometimes a really different response from, from just the, the logistical question that we often stay in to kind of protect our hearts and to guard our hearts in those moments. Todd, thanks so much for taking some time. I'm going to close this in a prayer, but so grateful for your wisdom and your leadership, your coaching that you provide to leaders, to couples, and your great ministry that you provide and uh, helping to lead others. And it's just really cool to watch. It's hard for me to imagine that the guy that was jumping off of cliffs and telling teenagers to jump off of cliffs 25 years ago is the same guy that's, uh, that's now helping people thrive in corporate America. That just that frightens me right there. But I guess there's a lot of, there's a lot of cliff jumping that happens in corporate America as well. It's just a different kind. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Hey, let me pray for you, for us. So Heavenly Father, thank you for Todd, for the wisdom that you've imparted to him, for the blessing that Bev is to him, and for the incredible joy that it is for them to be a family and to serve you. Uh, Lord, I pray that coming up in the season, in the summer, where the change of season and rhythms is one where um, you will not only change their hearts and minds and lives um, in a season of transformation, but you'll do that for all of us. We know that we're on a journey, God, and that you are doing something not just to us, but within us. And so will your spirit stir in new ways to, to reach out, to discover, to ask a question, to be vulnerable, to listen, Whatever that is that we need to do in a, in a step of faith, I pray, God, that you, will, that you will imprint that upon our convictions right now and help us to move forward as your people, as your family. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here, everybody. Next week, we're going to be talking about science and faith with a dear friend, Greg Kutsona, who's on the West Coast, who's written a couple of books on science and faith. Everything you see in the news right now is all, what do you believe about the science? What do you believe... And then sometimes your faith influences your view of science and uh, vice versa. So we're, we're excited to be able to, to bring a really cool conversation. Everybody have a great time. Take care.